what you'll hear on Patreon. We need to be talking about capitalism and stripping stripping this language from the sort of quotidian lexicon, as you like, of, of how we talk about things, class, capitalism, okay? I grew up, even in the 80s as a kid, these were terms that were familiar terms. You, these were things that were spoken about. These things aren't spoken, these things, and that's deliberate. So the triumph, obviously, of neoliberalism is, is the removal of class from, 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 from the vocabulary. I am Bonnie Prince Bob. I am an artist and filmmaker, producer based in Edinburgh, Scotland. When we were first talking, you uh, you gave me a a, whole, a bit of a spiel about why you're against bios. What do you have against a bio? <laughs> I've just never been into it. I think it's better for other people to decide what you are or what you aren't. In the year 2014, a great ideological battle raged within the British Isles. In a quest for sovereignty, a rebellion had ensued between Scottish nationalists, the inhabitants of Northern Britain, and their ruling Southern masters, the Unionists. The Edinburgh Festival is a spectacular exercise of lies, hype and profiteering. An annual occupation by cunts for cunts. I think this whole long-standing, kind of meticulously curated and crafted bio written by the self is always, it's, it's never appealed to me. It's just quite narcissistic and I've just, I've not been into it. Have you ever seen the ones where, they, you know, they ask you for a bio and you're supposed to write in third person and the person is like clearly it's, tooting their own horn and they're like, he oh, but, was, he oh, so-and-so and found so and philosophy through, you know. It's the whole kind of write your own Wikipedia stuff in that, you know, it's the same, it's in the same ballpark. Like, well, there's sort of like many Wikipedias, aren't they, really, you know? <laughs> and it's just tremendously embarrassing. Anyway, okay, so I wanted to talk to you because you got in touch with me uh, a little, a few days ago um, about a new piece that you put out on your YouTube channel. If you want to plug it, what's the, what's the handle on your YouTube channel? Discontent. Because many years ago, I, I, I always hated this term content. I never was down with the idea of creating content. And I, I said to somebody one day, I said, I don't create fucking content, I create discontent. And I was like, right, well, that's, <laughs> that's kind of, mm. discontent is my um, my channel. Um, so yes. on that channel is a video called The Slow Cancellation of Mark Fisher's Russell Brand. Russell Brand. A guy who was sold to the public as a libertine sex case is currently undergoing a damning public exposure for being a sex case. The idea that Brand, a former self-abusing addict, would not have a dubious sexual history would seem unlikely. Nevertheless, after a lengthy investigation by journalists with an unlimited budget, a number of women have alleged inappropriate and potentially criminal sexual behaviour, and he will now have to manage very real fallout. Many people believe that Russell Brand is now being targeted because his success as an anti-mainstream media broadcaster makes him a threat to establishment power. These people are correct. Russell Brand does pose a threat to establishment power, but not to the right wing's media establishment. 
Rupert Murdoch may well have set fire to Russell Brand's career and reputation, but in the online courts of cancel culture, it is the liberal left who are eagerly pouring propellant on the flames. And I was wondering, could, if you could sum up the point of this video in a few sentences, how would you do that? Um, it was basically my... Uh, I had one. I, had, I started my Patreon. I started for ages. Everybody was like, "Well, you should do it. start a Patreon." And I was kind of like, "Everyone's got a podcast. Everyone's got a Patreon. Why would I do this?" You know. And then I was like, "All right, fuck, mm -hmm. I need to make some dollar like for this." You know, I'll try and do it. You know. So I did it, and then I was like, "Right, people joined it," and I was like, "Well, I'm, I better actually try to kind of like try to sort of express or communicate some of the ideas that that you know I want to work on." And I had decided that one of the first the first kind of main, uh, over the years, of, I've made some kind of significant little pieces of online satire and film and stuff that, that garnered a reasonable uh, interest. And um, everything's kind of a bit DIY, but I've always sort of tried to punch above my weight when it comes to these things, we're trying to do stuff. And I wanted to do a piece about identity politics and about where we are, you know, in, in our sort of contemporary malaise with it all. And it's almost impossible to do that without kind of touching on that piece really, you know. And this obviously this kind of famous essay, uh, Exiting the Vampire Castle. Exiting the Vampire Castle by Mark Fisher from 2013. This summer I seriously considered withdrawing from any involvement in politics. Exhausted through overwork, incapable of productive activity, I found myself drifting through social networks, feeling my depression and exhaustion increasing. Left-wing Twitter can often be a miserable, dispiriting zone, Earlier this year, there were some high-profile Twitter storms, in which particular left-identifying figures were called out and condemned. What these figures had said was sometimes objectionable, but nevertheless, the way in which they were personally vilified and hounded left a horrible residue. The stench of bad conscience and witch-hunting moralism. The reason I didn't speak out on any of these incidents, I'm ashamed to say, was fear. The bullies were in another part of the playground. I didn't want to attract their attention to me. The open savagery of these exchanges was accompanied by something more pervasive, and for that reason, perhaps more debilitating. An atmosphere of snarky resentment. The most frequent object of this resentment is Owen Jones, and the attacks on Jones, the person most responsible for raising class consciousness in the UK in the last few years, were one of the reasons I was so dejected. If this is what happens to a left-winger who is actually succeeding in taking the struggle to the centre ground of British life, why would anyone want to follow him into the mainstream? Is the only way to avoid this drip feed of abuse to remain in a position of impotent marginality. One of the things that broke me out of this depressive stupor was going to the People's Assembly in Ipswich, near where I live. The People's Assembly had been greeted with the usual sneers and snarks. This was, we were told, a useless stunt in which media leftists, including Jones, were aggrandizing themselves in yet another display of top-down celebrity culture. What actually happened at the Assembly in Ipswich was very different to this caricature. The first half of the evening, culminating in a rousing speech by Owen Jones, was certainly led by the top table speakers. But the second half of the meeting saw working class activists from all over Suffolk talking to each other, supporting one another, sharing experiences and strategies. Far from being another example of hierarchical leftism, the People's Assembly was an example of how the vertical can be combined with the horizontal. Media power and charisma could draw people who hadn't previously been to a political meeting into the room where they could talk and strategize with seasoned activists. The atmosphere was anti-racist and anti-sexist, but refreshingly free of the paralyzing feeling of guilt and suspicion which hangs over left-wing Twitter like an acrid, stifling fog. Then there was Russell Brand. 
I've long been an admirer of Brand, one of the few big-name comedians on the current scene to come from a working-class background. Over the last few years, there has been a gradual but remorseless embourgeoisement of television comedy, with preposterous, ultra-posh nincompoop Michael McIntyre and a dreary drizzle of bland graduate chancers dominating the stage. The day before Brand's now famous interview with Jeremy Paxman was broadcast on Newsnight, I had seen Brand's stand-up show The Messiah Complex in Ipswich. The show was defiantly pro-immigrant, pro-communist, anti-homophobic, saturated with working-class intelligence and not afraid to show it, and queer in the way that popular culture used to be, i.e. nothing to do with the sour-faced identitarian piety foisted upon us by moralizers on the post-structuralist left. Malcolm X, Che, politics as a psychedelic dismantling of existing reality, this was communism as something cool, sexy and proletarian, instead of a finger-wagging sermon. The next night, it was clear that Brand's appearance had produced a moment of splitting, for some of us, Brand's forensic takedown of Paxman was intensely moving, miraculous. I couldn't remember the last time a person from a working-class background had been given the space to so consummately destroy a class superior using intelligence and reason. This wasn't Johnny Rotten swearing at Bill Grundy, an act of antagonism which confirmed rather than challenged class stereotypes. Brand had outwitted Paxman, and the use of humour was what separated Brand from the dourness of so much leftism. Brand makes people feel good about themselves whereas the moralizing left specializes in making people feel bad and is not happy until their heads are bent in guilt and self-loathing. The moralizing left quickly ensured that the story was not about Brand's extraordinary breach of the bland conventions of mainstream media debate, nor about his claim that revolution was going to happen. This last claim could only be heard by the cloth-eared, petty bourgeois narcissistic left as Brand saying that he wanted to lead the revolution, something that they responded to with typical resentment. I don't need a jumped-up celebrity to lead me. For the moralizers, the dominant story was to be about Brand's personal conduct, specifically his sexism. In the febrile McCarthyite atmosphere fermented by the moralizing left, remarks that could be construed as sexist mean that Brand is a sexist, which also meant that he is a misogynist. Cut and dried, finished, condemned. So this film, um, I had actually begun working on this piece a couple of weeks prior to this thing occurring with Russell Brand, this recent kind of uh, expose. So I kind of, it, it just became, it kind of presented itself to me essentially that, you know, it was almost like, the strange thing was that as I was starting this piece and I wanted to um, talk about Fisher and I wanted to talk about Exit and the Vampire Castle, I was initially, before this stuff broke, I was kind of going, how am I going to tackle the sort of Russell Brand thing? Because I'm not sure the relevance of it now was so, you know, like I was trying to sort of figure out and where Russell went into what he was doing and, and what have you, and the way how reactionary sections of the left are about all that kind of stuff. Um, and I was a bit sort of frustrated, really. I was like, I need to kind of like figure out how to deal with Brand, but not deal with Brand. And then that kind of happened. I went, well, this is kind of synergistic. It's kind of weird almost, like, you know, a decade after it was written and then suddenly this thing exploded at that time. And it was it almost just kind of presented itself to me, really. And I thought, well, it kind of makes dealing with that part of it uh, somewhat, you, you know, it became, an, a, a, it just became easier for me while, while I was making the piece because, um, all of a sudden, 
all of this stuff became relevant again to one extent or another, you know? Russell Brand under fire after multiple women have accused him of sexual assault in a new documentary report. The comedian who was married to Katy Perry is now responding, flatly denying the accusations. Eva Pilgrim is here now with the story. Good morning, Eva. Good morning, Lindsay. Now, some of these women saying they didn't come forward until now because they were scared and only came forward after reporters reached out to them. This morning, comedian and actor Russell Brand facing accusations of inappropriate sexual behavior with several women. Brand speaking out, denying he did anything wrong. But I feel like I'm being attacked. Brand famous for his stand-up. Then I took my turn nicely. And for movie roles like Forgetting Sorry. Sarah Marshall. Oh, right. Hey, I'm all the snow. I know who you are. And his short-lived marriage to pop star Katy Perry. But now, five women coming forward with allegations, four of them anonymously, in an in-depth collaborative documentary by multiple British media organizations accusing Brand of rape, sexual assault, and abuse. One of the victims says she was just 16 years old at the time. I think exiting the Vampire Castle is an essay that the late social critic and theorist Mark Fisher wrote. And it was a critique on the left, as he saw it, around about the time in 2013. Um, he, he was basically um, expressing the, the dismay at the, um, the abandonment of, of class politics on, on behalf of the, the sort of the left. And what would then become what we're maybe more familiar with, using the pejorative, the woke left or otherwise, but, you know, this kind of... this complete and utter assimilation to this strange type of like non-class-based left, which is essentially what we've got, you know? And um, it was a it was an essay that clearly caused the academic left particularly a big problem, and they, and they found it very difficult to deal with. Fisher had become um, utterly incensed and, and kind of overwhelmed by the kind of... Um, these uh, the emergence of cancel culture, essentially, or call-out culture, where there was these kind of like it's an online pathology. It was very much something that was occurring online, but then, such as all our lives now, you know, like everything is kind of a, a sort of mixture of reality and online now. So um, he he had become um, really uh, dismayed at what what he was seeing instances of this type of behaviour, you know, this kind of um, cancel culture type call-out culture behaviour. And uh, he saw the reaction when Russell Brand went on the um, and when Russell Brand went on the interview with Jeremy Paxman. Russell Brand, who are you to edit a political magazine? Well, I just suppose like a person who's being politely asked by an attractive woman. I don't know what the typical criteria is. I don't know many people that edit political magazines. Boris, he used to do one, didn't he? So I'm a, kind of a person with crazy hair, quite a good sense of humour, don't know much about politics, I'm ideal. But is it true you don't even vote? Yeah, no, I don't vote. Well, how do you have any authorities to talk about politics then? Well, I don't uh, get my authority from this pre-existing paradigm, which is quite narrow and only serves a few people. I look elsewhere for alternatives that might be of service to humanity. Alternate means, alternate political systems. Uh, they being? Well, I've not invented it yet, Jeremy. I had to do a magazine last week. I've had a lot on my plate. But I say, but here's the thing that it shouldn't do. Shouldn't destroy the planet. Shouldn't create massive economic disparity. Shouldn't ignore the needs of the people. The burden of proof is on the people with the power, not people like doing a magazine. How do you imagine the people get power? 
Well, I imagine there are sort of hierarchical systems that have been preserved through they generations. They get power by being voted in. Well, you That's say how that, Jeremy. You like can't a, even be asked to vote. It's quite a narrow, uh, quite a narrow prescriptive parameter that changes within the... Uh, the in a democracy, that's how it works. Well, I don't think it's working very well, Jeremy, given that the planet is being destroyed, given that there is economic disparity of a huge degree. What are you saying? There's no alternative. There's no alternative. No, I'm just not saying system. that. I'm saying if you Brilliant. can't be asked to vote, why should we be asked to listen to your political point of view? You don't have to listen to my political point of view, but it's not uh, that I'm not voting out of apathy. I'm not voting out of absolute indifference and weariness and exhaustion from the lies, treachery, deceit of the political class that has been going on for generations now and which has now reached fever pitch where we have a disenfranchised, disillusioned, despondent underclass that are not being represented by that political system. So voting for it is tacit complicity with that system and that's not something I'm offering up. Well, why don't you change it then? I'm trying to. Well, why don't you start by voting? <laughs> I don't think it works. People have voted already and that's what's created the current well, paradigm. When did you last vote? Never. You've never, ever voted? No. Do you think that's really bad? So you struck an attitude, what, before the age of 18? Well, I was busy being a drug addict at that point because I come from the kind of social conditions that are exacerbated by an indifferent system that really just administrates for large corporations and ignores the population that well, it was voted in the, to serve. You're blaming the political class of the fact you had a drug problem? No, no, no. I'm saying I was part of a social and economic class that is underserved by the current political system and drug addiction is one of the problems it creates when you have huge underserved impoverished populations, people get drug problems and also don't feel like, uh, like they want to engage with the current political system because they see that it doesn't work for them. They see that it makes no difference. They see that they're not served. Well, I say it that doesn't the apathy, work for them if they don't bother to vote. Jeremy, my darling, I'm not saying that the, the apathy doesn't come from us, the people. The apathy comes from the politicians. They are apathetic to our needs. They're only interested in servicing the needs of corporations. Look at what, ain't the Tories going to court and to taking the EU to court because they're trying to curtail uh, bank bonuses. Is that what's happening at the moment in our country? It is, isn't it? Yeah, there is so what am I going to tune in for that? You don't believe in democracy. No, you to... want a revolution, don't you? The planet is being destroyed. We are creating an underclass. We are exploiting poor people all over the world. And the genuine legitimate problems of the people are not being addressed by our political class. All of those things may be true. They are true. But you took... I wouldn't argue with you about many of them. Well, how come I feel so cross with you? It can't just be because of that beard. It's gorgeous. It's possibly because... And if the Daily Mail don't want it, I do. I'm against them. Grow it longer. You are Tangle a... it into your armpit hair. You are a very trivial man. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think? I am trivial. Yes. A minute ago, you were having a go at me because I want a, a revolution. Now no, I'm trivial. I'm, asking, no, I'm, but, but I'm not having place. a go at you because you want a revolution. Many Good. people want a revolution, but I'm asking you what it will be like. Well, I think what it won't be like is a huge disparity between rich and poor, where 300 Americans have the same amount of wealth as the 85 million poorest Americans, where there is a, an exploited and underserved underclass that are being continually ignored, where, where welfare is slashed while Cameron and Osborne go to court to defend the rights of bankers to continue receiving to their bonuses. That's, That's all what's, I'm saying. What's the scheme? The That's all I'm asking. What's the scheme? You talk vaguely about revolution. What is it? I think a socialist egalitarian system based on the massive redistribution of wealth, heavy taxation of corporations and massive responsibility for uh, energy companies and any companies exploiting the environment, I think they should be, ta I think the very concept of profit should be hugely reduced. Okay. David Cameron says profit isn't a dirty word, I say profit is a filthy word because wherever there is profit there is also deficit and there, this system currently doesn't address these ideas and so why would anyone vote for it? Why would anyone be interested in it? Who would levy these taxes? I think we do need to, like, there needs to be a centralised administrative system, but built on... 
I, I th yes, there I, needs I, to be a government. Well, we might maybe call it something else. Call them like the admin bods, right. so they don't get. A, and how would they themselves. be chosen? Jeremy, don't ask me to sit here in an interview with you in a bloody hotel room and devise a global utopian system. I'm merely pointing out that the You're current... not calling for revolution. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm calling for change. I'm calling for genuine alternatives. Um, and the reaction to them from sections of the left, it just kind of reinforced for Fisher just, just how distant the left have become from, from the working class, essentially. And although Russell Brand was the catalyst, it could have been any other thing, really, to be honest. It just so happened to be that Russell Brand was the was the um, the individual that kind of motivated him in some respects to to write this essay. And this and this essay was a a fierce critique of bourgeois identitarianism and um bourgeois the bourgeois left essentially, you know. Why did I make the film, right? I made the film to take that essay away out of that kind of like um, ecosystem of kind of exclusive kind of left academia and try to bring it into something that was a little bit more accessible for other people. Because most people, in my opinion, don't know don't know who Mark Fisher is and they definitely don't know what the fuck exit in the Vampire Castle is, right? Mm. So this was important to me because over the years when I kind of had been getting in all these spats with all these people in the left and what have you, and more and more in, just, you know, dumbfounded by this idiocy that just seemed to be just, just getting greater and greater and the kind of the, the, the attacks that I've received over the years, you know? And then um, maybe around 2017 or 18 or something like that, you know, I, because I was very, I used to be extremely combative on Twitter and I would kind of enjoy having these big spats and stuff. And I remember I, I stopped, I hit them one time. There's a sort of section of the Scottish sort of left who are particularly nauseating and irritating. They're no different from anyone else, you know what I mean? They, and it's all kind of, it's, it's all very homogenized because it's the same sort of mentality. It's all just that sort of left. They're the same whether they're in the States or anywhere, wherever they are, they're all the same. You know, they're all the same, kind of like, I didn't like to use the term woke in the past. I thought it was a bad term, but now, you know, it's almost like they reify the term. They become, you know what I mean? They become what they, it's like even terms like um, cultural Marxism and stuff. It's a ridiculous term in principle, but eventually you start going, well, I know what people mean when they use this term. I know, I know what type of annoying type of idiot they're talking about when they say this. You know, Mark Fisher was really correct about, because uh, I'd read that essay by that point or whatever, and I was like, Mark Fisher was absolutely correct about you lot. And the reaction that I got when I first kind of, and I was like, oh, I've touched the board here you don't like this you know and i was like right okay and then i started to look into it and then i was like ah right i see this is a real problem for you lot and then it really struck me because you can't have it both ways it's one thing to venerate and you know i mean fisher for his phenomenal critique of in capitalist realism why are you so keen to dismiss his politics at the same time? It seems it just seems ridiculous. It's like so. On one hand, you're all keen to oh yes, Mark Fisher, capitalist realism, incredible, and all this sort of stuff. It's like great, fantastic, fantastic piece. Um, but then you're just you are essentially saying that his politics are are, are meaningless. I wondered if you could kind of give me a little bit more detail about that reaction to Russell Brand. This is this was a long time ago, right? I've noticed like I I tend to assume like we're all on this journey together of like this unfolding understanding. And then I see somebody like coming at me, guns blazing, obviously like new to all of this. And I'm like, oh God, do we have to go back to basics? 
So I, I do feel like a lot of the time we have to go back to basics and not assume that everybody's part of that left that was like sort of horrified by what was happening that, you know, became politicized. And I could be wrong, but became ultra politicized, particularly around economic questions because of the 2008 financial crisis. Then watched it all kind of digress into identity politics circa 2013. I, I noticed that there was like a, a marked shift. I remember like in student politics, all of a sudden, these identity questions were coming in seemingly out of nowhere, initially through this feminist group that was always disrupting our meetings. <laughs> but and I noticed like something was happening. And even in 2014, I started to think, what, where is this obsession with language coming from? So other people didn't go through that whole process. They, you know, they came up in, in this and thought, well, that's just what the left is. They weren't okay, confronted with it sense. as a horror Please. show. OK, that makes sense. See, for me personally, I'm an old man. And none of this <laughs> stuff, I'm serious. And I never, I never even knew this really existed. And I'm not an academic. I've never been to university. I don't, I never had much to do with that side of things. I presume it's because I come from a traditional left background. Class politics was my politics. My, my father was WRP. I don't know if, you, if you're aware of that. <laughs> they were like the most hardcore rages, you know what I mean? They were kind of like the most, the most mental. Class politics kind of dominated my life growing up, you know, and in no particular good way, you know what I mean? Not, 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 does it ever, is, there ever, is it ever a good way? I don't know, you know what I mean? That's a highly debatable question, but, you know, you, you, um, I came from a traditional left position and, um, you, you know, my politicisation happened in the 80s when Thatcher was, like, destroying working classes and my old man was losing his fucking marbles and the rest of it, you know what I mean? And so my... Uh, although I'm younger than a lot of the people that maybe were, you know, hardcore left at that point or whatever, and 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 saw the the disintegration of of that even in 1979, really when the, when the neoliberals took charge or whatever. Do you know what I mean? Now when you look back on it and everything, but so I just I had I was kind of a bit of a, a, a an idiot really because I kind of just assumed like, when, and maybe the Twitter bio is part of it as well. You know what I mean? Because it's like. Somebody puts socialist or puts whatever in their bio, and they kill right, you don't know, whatever. And it's like, that's that's not what you think is going on here. Like, you know what I mean? And then it was what happened was we had the independence referendum in Scotland in 2014. And um, I think it's very much a, a, an event that's not been properly given the. the the proper space to be observed is what how much of a, a politicization of the populace that was. The independent Scottish independence referendum has been swept under the carpet, both by those who pushed it forward and those who were involved in it. It's, it's been kind of downplayed in terms of like what that did and the way that that affected the psyche of the country. And it's never been properly explored. And it's never been given the acknowledgement that it deserves to be given. And although I've become fiercely critical of those uh, component parts of that in, in, in retrospect, um, I was coming at this from a different angle because I was coming at it from an artistic perspective and from a satirising perspective. And I was looking to explore what this schism and fracture had done to the country culturally and socially. And I started to find that was became it was a big that was a difficult thing to do and and I was confused and I was like why why is why is this 
this shouldn't be difficult. This should be like people should be into this. People should be interested in exploring this in a comical and amusing and you know self-critical way. And I realised that what had happened that after 2014 there'd been a neoliberal land uh, land grab essentially, both both by the dominant political parties, but also by the cultural the cultural fraternity, which was made up of these identitarian bourgeois left opportunists who had basically planted themselves in the all kinds of opportunistic positions, both in politics, media, and culture. And that's when I was like, hold on a minute, this is a problem. Uh, and it's a problem for someone like me because I've come from a completely different mindset. And then that's when the friction began. And that's when I began to look at them as a, a group. And I began to realise, actually, this is this is a global thing. And this this and 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 in some ways, the Scottish experience is quite interesting because because it's a small country, everything is exponentially shitter in some respects, but exponentially more opportunistic as well and more and more nepotistic. So you start you I start a lot of the things that people are complaining about elsewhere and all the rest of it are actually very observable here because there's less people, there's less opportunities and what have you. And so you start to see what goes on. So when you look at the media, you look at the culture sector, these manifestations of of these type of attitudes were so so much clearer to observe. And somebody like myself, uh, with diff- with just a sort of a more traditional kind of transgressive provocative position you know what i mean from 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 the old left like idea of things uh i I started coming up against this and started essentially these people were quite equipped to start to what they call me a right wing or a fascist or an anti-semite whatever the fuck and and like these are really insulting things to call somebody like myself you know what i mean like are you having a fucking laugh i'm gonna fucking hunt you down (laughs) Well, I mean, like that's how it became, and but then you realise, wait, this is deep. This is insidious. This runs into every single section of the culture, and uh, so I, I think the motivation is to. I mean, when I've gone with my patron and what I want to do with my patron and what I want to explore with that is is a much is a much broader theme of capitalism and consciousness. These are these are much a much, a much more kind of like um, as you know, um, a greater a greater realm of inquiry that I've I've found myself upon post-COVID or around about the COVID stuff, and that's when I started to move in a slightly different direction. But it doesn't mean that I'm still not interested in having a laugh or take the piss. <laughs> and if you, find, if you find that you're unable to do that, um, then that's, you're going, what's going on here? Something's not right. Some, something isn't right, you know? And that that's when I started to realise what was going on with identitarianism and, and the left, if you like, you know? And then I see, and then you see them for what they are, and uh, mm. they're not, they're not particularly pleasant people, as they say. The person that elucidated this better than anyone was Fisher in that essay, just completely and utterly stripped it down. And I, I don't think there has yet been a more, a better kind of description of these attitudes and behaviours, you know. And I don't think, I don't think it's got any better. I think, <laughs> I think it's got worse. <laughs> I've only been to Baltimore one time. I ate lunch there, and the hostess who like seats you at the restaurant had a black eye. <laughs> a full black eye. And it wasn't like, what happened? Yeah, it was pretty obvious what happened. And we couldn't get over the fact that we're like, this is the face of the company? Like, this is, 
This is who you have greeting people? Matt Reif is facing backlash after clapping back at critics who slammed his new Netflix special, which includes jokes about domestic violence. The joke in question is at the beginning of Matt's stand-up routine, during his debut Netflix special, Natural Selection, when he tells a story about being greeted at a restaurant in Baltimore by a hostess with a black eye. And my boy who I was with was like, yeah, I feel bad for her, man. I feel like they should put her in the kitchen or something where nobody, where nobody has to see her face, you know? And I was like, yeah, but I feel like if she could cook, she wouldn't have that black eye. After receiving some laughter from the audience in Washington, D.C., Matt downplays the joke. Just testing the water, seeing if y'all are gonna be fun or not. Just wanted to see. Just wanted to see. I figured we start the show with domestic violence. The rest of the show should be... Should be pretty smooth sailing after that. Well, safe to say smooth sailing turned to choppy waters, with the special generating backlash following its November 15th release. You also want to know why. Why is this happened? What's going on? There are, I think there are answers for that. You know, we're in an ever-narrowing uh, area of opportunity. You know, and the, 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 the neoliberal model and what's happened is, is, has meant that people traditionally who maybe would have left university with a greater potentiality of different options don't have those options anymore. And they're bitter. And they come out with a sort of meritocratic sort of sense of superiority and they kind of graduate into cultural traffic waltons and they all kind of go, right, okay, well, this is a way where we can kind of, you know, subtly identify that we're all of the same sort of class. We're all of the same class and we're all of the same higher, higher education sort of position. Um, and therefore we can all kind of take, we can, we can bring the politics of um, the common room into, into the rest of society. When we come up here and, and, and drive everybody mad and, you know, make everybody lose their heads. And also alienate working class people who, who, if anybody doesn't give a fuck about this stuff, it's working class people, you know? Mm -hmm. they, they're just, why are not disinterested in this, you know? Well, what's the most important thing? You can't heat your house. You can't pay your bills, right? You, you, you've got mold growing up the, the walls. You've got no social housing. Everything's fucked. But we need to decide whether or not a man can be a woman or not. I mean, you're taking the fucking piss. You know what I mean? It's absolutely... It's a total insult, though. You know what I mean? It really isn't funny. It's like, this is not funny. This is arrogant. It's arrogant and insulting. You know? You, you manufacture some sort of minority group now. You're all, you're all going to fetishize. You should be ashamed of them. You really should be. You know, it's embarrassing. I really find it... I think it's like, you know... And, and then all of a sudden, you know, if you want to critique this... This is the thing, they're incapable of critique. Just because you critique something doesn't mean you disagree wholesale with what's being said. It doesn't mean that, like, you know, I consider myself a liberal person. I've got, and I've got many reasons in my life to know that I don't have to question that about myself. I know what, what my sense of humanity is or my sense of altruism or my sense of awareness about things. But I'm not going to be patronised or condescended by something political embryo on their high loss about, you know, I mean, what my politics should or shouldn't be, you understand? So Fish, I think Fisher was just at the end of his tether, you know? I think he was just, I've seen, I've seen lectures with Fisher where he's talking to young folk. You can just see the life drain out of him in the Q&A, you know? <laughs> he's spent all this, he's, he, there's a great one, and he, he explains, you know, like, you know, like, even in the 80s, even when everything was fucked, you know, like, the, we still had better situations and circumstances for, for, for ourselves. You know, there was things that were still there that's been taken away from that millennial generation or something, you know?
Mm-hmm. And he kind of explains this all to them. And then they get up and start defending their own their own position and place in 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 time. And you can just you can just sense that he's just like, this is a nightmare, you know? Mm-hmm. I really felt from in some of these things. Because I mean I don't you know, I didn't really I was only even vaguely aware of Fisher until he died. It was only really once he died I started to pay attention to him. Mm-hmm. I was like, this guy was on it. He knew what he was talking about. Yeah, I, 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 I debated him. I debated him some years ago, I think in 2014. And even then I didn't quite understand. And I always regret that I was a bit unfair because he was a lot more sympathetic to therapy culture than I was. And, and right, okay. I the same thing. He was on he was on a panel with him. And he was like, oh, Merlin. Because he was quite, intro, I think he's quite an introvert guy. And he, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, from the looks of things, and, and, you know, so Dean was always the same. He said, I wish that engaged more with this guy and kind of like, you know, but, you know. Yeah, and there's no, and this panel that we did was like legendary. It was just eye opening in so many ways. And you could see the people in the audience, like the panel before we did the debate. We did a panel and then everyone wanted to see more. So they put up another debate like a couple months later. And it was just, he was so quietly insightful. And you could just see everybody in the audience being like, (laughs) you know, even in that essay, even when you read anything you read, there's never a full stop that shouldn't be. It's just everything. It's, they never, there's no word there that doesn't need to be there. And it's everything so concise and like, you know what I mean? And so oh, it was a, a fantastic, such a great watch, you know? Mm. But um, again, though, it's still, still very relevant in these times, you know what I mean? Both in terms of his, his, his wider, wider work and, and this specific piece, you know? Mm. So the what you were mentioning before as well about like this being very insulting to the working class, like, my husband's sort of very working class, um, barely finished high school. Uh, he's works all these has been working all these odd jobs for years. Like he was an Am- worked at Amazon. He was a delivery driver dur- during COVID, and you know all of his friends are you know builders that sort of thing. And we go out for a drink, and I'm sitting there like pontificating, which I don't usually do, by the way. But I was explaining something, and he just stops me, and he goes, "You don't need to." I usually do my husband's accent, but I won't. It's kind of insulting. he's like like, you don't need to explain that to anybody at this table everybody already knows and I always remember that because if I have have to like bend over backwards jump through hoops pull the wool off of somebody's eyes yeah I might have to explain something a little bit more deeply or something like that you know you're not gonna have like a spontaneous understanding political economy I might be able to kind of offer some insight there but if I have to like really say you are wrong about this and the way whole way of thinking is wrong I'm probably wrong, you know. Guaranteed. And I have always, always it's always projection, right? It's always projections, yeah. you know. What I mean, as well, exactly, you know. And like it's, it's it's exactly that thing, you know. It's like I, I you know, yeah. It, they 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 really are quite they really are quite something, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's the same with my brother. My brother's very working class, and like we will fight for like three hours because he can't bring himself to agree with me. Blue haired intellectual, you know. <laughs> But we do. We agree on on so much, and it's. I learn a ton from from both of them, and I, it's my litmus test as well. Like if I can't, if I bring my ideas to them and I can't convince them, I'm, I'm like, mm, I'm overcomplicating yeah. this, or like I've I've got this yeah, all yeah. wrong, or something like that. But, sure. um, and and in addition, this this sort of um, them people calling you. Just going back to what you said about people calling you a fascist and all these sorts of things, it's so ridiculous and ironic. <laughs> because 
because they know what we have. Sorry to cut you, but it's like now what we now what we do now it's dangerous though because now you see you now we see that now we see elements of far right manifesting the most horrible fuckers mm-hmm. that, are, that you could imagine, and we've now got a resurgence of of, of actual racism appearing. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, then, and like scientific racism is coming back as well. Right, they start right. using like and, race and science. Race have, have, have been have been so hostile to the working class. It's like what what now you're supporting the liberal intelligentsia, the liberal left. What was we're supposed to get excited, and this is why even with the whole Palestine thing, I think it's a bit of an issue because it's like I think. Visit patreon.com/slash Ashley A. Frawley for part two.